Keep falling on my head Just like the guy whose feet are too big Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Weekly Racing Roundup. I'm your host, Race Car Day, for February 18th, Sunday. Well, we were getting all ginned up, bigged up for the Daytona 500. I, I watched qualifying, I watched the duels on Thursday. Those weren't bad. Get ready to watch SVG make his debut on an oval this week. Uh, to be fair, he managed to only get four laps in in his first ever oval race. But Sunday came along and it is raining. And it, it's been raining since Saturday. It looks like it's going to be raining halfway through Monday. So uh, by the time you listen to this, you may know more about the Daytona 500 results than I do now. Anyway, that wasn't the only thing on tap for this week. We also had WRC in Sweden. Watching the boys skate around between the high snowbanks. And we have sports car racing in Australia, the 12 Hours of Bathurst. A very interesting event uh, with some interesting storylines going on. So let's go ahead and dive right in. First, we head to the beautiful Mount Panorama Circuit outside of Sydney, Australia for the 12 Hours of Bathurst. Now, this track's probably more famous for the 1,000 kilometers of Bathurst and the Bathurst 500, the two rounds of the V8 Supercar Championship that run there. The sports car race is something that wasn't on my radar before, but last year when Valentino Rossi became a factory BMW driver and headed down there, I made a point of watching it, and I found it to be quite interesting. If you've never seen it before or don't know anything about Mount Panorama, this is a 3.8-mile street circuit that is just insane. It's got 570 feet of elevation gain. It effectively runs a kind of a rectangle down on this valley floor and then goes squiggling up one side of the mountain and squiggling back down the other side of the mountain. Almost looks like a tarmac rally stage, but with concrete walls on both sides of the track. So... An amazing, challenging test for the drivers of the field. Speaking of the field, this is a race where the GT3 cars reign supreme. They represent the fastest category in this race. There are no prototypes in this race. I don't even know what it would look like to drive a prototype race car around this track. That being said, of the major manufacturers bringing new cars down, it was really only Porsche and BMW bringing their fresh equipment down with their factory teams. A uh, lot of Mercedes, AMG GT Evos, but those are a year-old car, and there's still a bunch of those Audi R8s running around down there. Those kind of made up the bulk of the field, the Mercedes and the Audis. Uh, it's... It was an amazing race. The opening section of the race was fast and clean. They didn't have a caution until hour two, I believe. They were kind of running nose to tail the whole time. Uh, everything was, there was a couple little cautions in there, and then everything was cruising right along until hour five when one of the factory BMWs decided to do a Tony Hawk rail slide 
up the outside retaining wall heading up the hill as it tripped over a GT4 car. This set off a weird series of cautions in which the Manti Porsche, uh, which was the factory Porsche, managed to uh, screw up a Falafalva particular pit stop rule at this race. They exceeded the minimum time for a pit stop. Minimum times for pit stops pop up in certain kinds of sports car racing. Uh, it just makes it fair. Since not all the teams are fully professional, it takes the competition out of the pit stops and makes sure everything's done safe and completely. But they exceeded the minimum time, went out, and in a cheeky move, tried to serve their penalty under caution, which got them another penalty. So the car 912 Manti Porsche, which had been kind of the class of the field in the opening half of the race, suddenly got buried back down into the field. And again, this track is utterly bizarre and tight. So making your way through the pack is very challenging. At this point in the race, it started to rain. The rain came down heavy and was gusting heavily at times. Uh, these guys don't mess around. There was just standing water running down the side of the track. This race kept going on. It was at that point in the race that the factory Porsche at the hands of Matty Campbell managed to kind of cut his way up through the field and get back to the lead. This guy was obviously, this guy and this team with this car were obviously the class of the field today. Uh, towards the end of the race, it looked like they were just going to walk away with it, but there was a late race caution with 30 minutes to go in the 12 hours. That restart would allow an interesting character back into the show. That was Jules Gonon. I'm pretty sure I'm not saying that right. The Frenchman in the Sun Energy 1 Mercedes AMG has won this race three years in a row. Last year in this very car was looking to go for a historic four in a row, a feat that has never been done. But ultimately in the end, Matty Campbell and the Manti Porsche was able to fend him off by stretching his legs and making it to the flag first. Kind of the interesting thing that ties this into the whole rest of the world of racing, Matt Campbell won the 24 hours of Daytona two weeks ago in a 963 Porsche prototype, and the factory decided to send him down here to see if they couldn't snag a W down here in Australia. That man leads a very interesting life, and it will be cool to see what else he accomplishes for the rest of the year. He could go on to win the 24 hours of Le Mans. He could win the 20 hours in Nürburgring. We don't know where he's going to show up next, but we know he's probably going to show up in a fast Porsche and be quick. All right, and on to WR Sweden, where Esapeki Lappi, say that five times fast, won the Rally Sweden. This man has not won a WRC event since 2017 when he won his first attempt at Rally Finland. So it's been a long time coming. He had to overcome all the regular drivers and, of course, Kali Ravampera coming back in the first run in his part-time schedule this year in his factory Toyota. Uh, on Thursday, the Toyotas all looked very quick, but by Saturday afternoon, uh, both of the lead runners for Toyota had managed to knock themselves out, and uh, Elfin Evans in the third Toyota just never looked particularly comfortable on the snow, uh, leaving Esapeki Lappi a comfortable marching into the end. 
He was able to do a managed drive for the back half of Saturday and for Sunday morning stage. Ultimately, he finished about 30 seconds ahead of Toyota's Elfit Evans and followed home by M Sport Ford's Adrian Formo in third. That, by the way, being Formo's first ever podium in a Rally 1 car. That makes it two for two for the Crooked H gang as uh, Thierry Nova won Rally Monte Carlo. Uh, I don't think I saw that coming into this season. That Toyota WRC car, that Yaris is very strong. And even with Robin Paragon, it really kind of looked like it was going to be Elvin Evans' year. But that hasn't turned out to be the case so far. Neova leads the championship, heading into round three at Kenya on March 28th for Safari Rally Kenya. Hi, this is Dave Adams, a.k.a. Race Car Dave, host of the Weekly Racing Roundup. Uh, asking you if you enjoy what you're hearing, please go ahead, give us a like, subscribe, share, do all the things. Uh, in order to grow the show, we need to spread the word. So please go ahead and tell anybody you know that's into racing. Give us a listen at the Weekly Racing Roundup. Okay, and now for what we know about Daytona so far. Ford showed up on Wednesday with some fast, hot rods. Joey Logano and Michael McDowell locked out the front row, breaking up what had been the better part of a decade of Hendrick Motorsports' dominance for pole position. Uh, the other notable things on Wednesday is that Jimmy Johnson, seven-time NASCAR champion, was unable to qualify on speed and was going to have to race his way into the show on Thursday. Also, quick to note that uh, the fastest Toyota in qualifying, the Camry with the new nose on it, was 23rd fastest. That was Eric Jones. Okay, going into Thursday, the duels, the way Daytona works is the front row gets locked out on Wednesday, and then everybody races on Thursday, and whatever your finishing position is, they take the field, cut it in half. Half the field runs one duel. The other half runs the other duel, and whatever your finishing position is in that race is what position you'll start on either the inside or the outside line. Uh, notable in the first duel was that Jimmy Johnson did manage to get himself into the show by racing his way up and having a decent finishing order, overcoming any deficit and any of the other cars that had to qualify on time and weren't locked into the show. Tyler Reddick for 23-11 won the opening duel, showing that even though the Toyota wasn't fast by itself, it was a pretty good race car. So that will bode well for them for the 500. In the second duel, we had the first of this week's big ones, where somebody got into the back of current series champion Ryan Blaney, and he got his bell rung pretty hard. It was William Byron that ran into him, but if you look, any accident in Daytona is a bit of a chain reaction Anyway, as you can imagine, Blaney was not very happy, but was able to walk away from the accident and will be racing on what is now Monday. Uh, the winner ultimately was Christopher Bell and yet another one of these Toyotas that was not fast on uh, Wednesday, but appeared to race pretty well. So it will be interesting to see. It really does look like the Toyota drivers might have the cars to beat for the 500 when it comes around on Monday.
All right, a quick dip into the news. We had the pointy end of the grid releasing their cars this week. So we had Red Bull, Mercedes, McLaren, Ferrari, and Aston Martin all rolling out their 2024 cars. Lots of evolution. Uh, nothing too crazy. A lot of people talking about paint jobs. Aston Martin was green. McLaren was black and orange. The Mercedes is going for a predominantly black car this year with a bit of a silver nose on it. Ferrari throwing a little bit of love to their AF Corsa program that won the 24 Hours of Le Mans, has some yellow stripes on it, and I'm glad to report red hubcaps. I don't know why more people aren't painting those hubcaps. Make them look interesting. Uh, the big note for me at Ferrari is they finally got rid of the wonky black and red driving suits, and we're back to all red overalls. Huzzah! Uh, design notes... Uh, probably the most interesting thing to me is that the new Red Bull kind of looks like the old Mercedes just a little bit. I think it might be the ultimate engineering troll if Red Bull, before the first race of the year, comes out with a zero-pod car that looks a whole heck of a lot like the crappy Mercedes zero-pod car but makes it work. That will be interesting. Let's see how it plays out as the season progresses. Uh, in IndyCar news, David Malukas pulled a Lance Stroll and injured his hand. Uh, this is too bad because this driver is going to be racing for Aero McLaren this year. This is kind of his big opportunity, but he will probably miss the first two weeks of the season due to the hand injury. Another IndyCar note is that they have moved the IndyCar finale, which was going to be at the street course in Nashville to the Nashville Speedway outside of town. If you're a conspiracy-minded individual, you might think that perhaps Roger Penske wants to give his driver, Joseph Newgarden, a fighting chance for the championship at the end of the year. And Pen him and Penske in general are just dominant on these short oval-style tracks. A more realistic take on this might be the track they've been using is kind of arranged around the Tennessee Titans Stadium. There's a lot of construction work in that area. And to be fair, the layout is a little bit choked and wonky at one end. So that will change the nature of the end of the IndyCar season this year. And it's also bringing their mix of street, road, and oval courses more in line to where they were in the late 90s at the height of the cart period. So it will be interesting to see. All right, that's going to do it for me this week on the Weekly Racing Report. Next week, we will have the results for the Daytona 500, which will be running on Monday, as well as the Xfinity race. We'll, we'll see if Shane Van Ginsbergen in his second attempt to start an oval race, has a little bit better run. Uh, also, NASCAR is going to be in Atlanta, and I genuinely think this is a race worth watching, even if you're not a NASCAR fan. Last year, whatever the heck they did to the Atlanta Motor Speedway, it is racing incredibly well right now. We will also be starting to see what's going to happen in the Formula One season because there will be testing in Bahrain starting February 23rd. We finally get to see the cars on track. We probably won't really get a good understanding of their relative pace, but at least we'll be able to see who screwed their car together well and made it so it does not fall apart. Reliability is really the only thing I look for in the tests leading up to the opening round. Okay, like I said, that's going to do it for me. My name is Race Car Dave, and until next week, keep the rubber side down.